It's nice to see you today. Hope you had a good week. You know, nothing compares to being used by God to do something that's greater than yourself, a purpose bigger than what you could think of. And a lot of people feel like they've never experienced that. Like they've never had that experience where they felt like God was using them for something bigger than themselves. And yet I don't think we've really had a fulfilled life if, you, if we're not involved in that. I don't think our life can be fulfilling. I think our life would be frustrating because if I live only for myself, that's a pretty small cause in this world with you know, great needs and great things. And a lot of us don't even believe that God could use us for something great. Because we look at ourselves, we might see our weaknesses, we might see the things about us that we think don't qualify us. Maybe I feel like I need more education for God to use me, or I need more money, things like that. A lot of people think, like, okay, I want to get this job, and I want to work. But what happens? You just get the job, you work, you retire, and then you die, right? And you have to think, like, is that really what life is all about? We need to work. We need to make money. But there's so much more to get out of life than having that job, working, growing old, and dying. It's got to be better than that. In Romans 6, 13, it says, give yourselves completely to God, every part of you. That's everything. Because you've been brought from death to life. And now you want to be used by God for good and for his righteous purposes. It's like everything I am, I surrender it to God. Because he's brought me from death to life. When Jesus died on the cross for my sins, it's like a brand new start. I'm going to spend eternity with God. All we do is we put our faith in him. I think there's two reasons why we hold ourselves back. One, I kind of mentioned you feel disqualified. Maybe you don't feel like you're qualified because of past mistakes. Like, if you really knew the things I did in the past, you would know that God could never use me. And people feel that way. They're hanging on to something that they feel guilty about. So they disqualify themselves to be used by God. Then the other reason is we feel unqualified. I don't know enough. I don't have a background with this. And we, in our own minds, we feel like we're unqualified, so we excuse ourselves out. But God is saying, no, I want to use everybody. God wants to use everybody's life for something amazing, for something good. We just have to be willing to be used because it's less about us and it's more about God. Paul, if you look at Paul's background before he was a Christian, he was trying to kill Christians. Talk about someone that would be disqualified. He was a pretty bad person, and then he ends up being used by God for great things. So if God can use him, I think he could use you and I. I want us to look at Paul's secrets of staying usable. There's five things that we see that Paul did. Uh, number one in your notes, never forget it's all because of God's mercy. It's God's mercy. It's God's grace that allows us to be used by him. What is mercy? That undeserved forgiveness, that unearned kindness. It's given to you freely from God. You don't deserve to be forgiven. He just forgives you. You don't deserve for God to show you kindness. He shows you kindness even when you don't deserve it. 
It's more about his character than about anything that you've done. And when you remember that, you remember, in spite of the things I've done, God shows me mercy because of who he is. And he wants to use my life for great things. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1, it says, God in his mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. That's why we do not become discouraged and never give up. The work that God's calling you to do is by his mercy. Some people think ministry, that's something that pastors do. That's something that ministers do. But biblically, it doesn't mean that. It really means it's, it's referring to everybody. Everybody in this room has talents. Everybody in this room has gifts that you can use. You're gifted at doing certain things that you can use to help people. You can be an accountant, and if you're using it to help people, that's a ministry. A truck driver, a salesman, school teacher, attorney, a child care worker. It doesn't matter what you do. Your job can be your ministry. If you're using your job to help people, if you're using your job to help people have a better life, that becomes your ministry or one of the ministries. A lot of people have more than one ministry, but that becomes a ministry. God in his mercy has given us work to do so that we can bless others. It doesn't mean that you're always doing it to bless others. But when you're doing it for that purpose, it becomes a ministry. You were created to make a contribution. God shaped you to serve. We're all created by God to make a difference in this world. It doesn't mean that we're doing it. Just because God created you to make a positive impact doesn't mean that you're making a positive impact. But that's his desire. He's given you gifts and talents so that you can. Everybody can make a positive impact on the lives of those around them, using their gifts and talents to help others. When you understand God's mercy and how much he loves you, it does a couple of things for you. First of all, it lets you know that I don't have to prove my value by how hard I work. A lot of people, it's sort of like the workaholic, you know, by working and succeeding, then I'm important. When you understand God's mercy, then you understand, well, why am I really valuable? Because I'm a child of God. You're valuable because God was willing to come on the cross and die for you, that you're worth a lot. But you get your mind on the right thing. You can still work hard, but your self-esteem and your feelings about yourself aren't based on whether or not you close that deal or not, whether or not you have success or not. Your success is defined by, am I giving it all I have? Am I doing the best I can? Because inside, you know that your value isn't based on those things. It's based on who you are in Christ. You're God's child. Believe me, God's child is valuable, whether they feel valuable or not. I talked a week or so back about if there's a king and he has a son, everybody knows, wow, that's the prince. And they treat him with high value. Well, you're the prince. You're the princess. God's the king. You're his child. You're the prince and princess. You have value no matter how well things work out at work. Because a character, that's why you work hard. But your value isn't based on those things. You work hard because you have character. You want to do the right thing. When I understand mercy, I don't wallow in my mistakes. The dumb things I've done, the stupid things I've done, I can get through it. See, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Like, I can't believe I did that. 
and we hold it against ourselves. When you understand God's mercy, you understand that he forgives you, you can forgive yourself. Come on, if the creator of the universe is kind enough to forgive me, who am I not to forgive myself? And it gives me that ability to get back up and go again. If you don't believe in mercy, you'll hang on to those regrets, those failures. You'll define yourself by those things, and you won't move on. You'll never have the life that God really wants you to have. Paul had a terrible past. Do you know that Paul was a terrorist? A lot of people don't know that. He was a terrorist. He was going after Christians to kill them. He was involved in, uh, we know for sure, in Stephen's murder. He was involved there. He was arresting uh, Christians, putting them in prison for only one reason, because they believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. That was the only thing that he had against them, and he was killing them. He was throwing them in prison. You talk about a messed up past. I don't think anything can be worse than being a terrorist. And if that's your background, and God's still willing when you repent and turn to God and say, wow, I was on the wrong track. If anybody should be disqualified to be used for God for anything good, I would think it's a terrorist, someone that's killing innocent people. But if a terrorist can turn their life around, repent, and say, I was on the wrong track, submit their life to God, and end up writing half the books in the New Testament, I kind of think God can take the things you and I have done if we submit it to God, ask for forgiveness, say, God, I'm willing to be used. I think he can take what we've done and use us. If he can use Paul, he certainly can use you and I. In Galatians, it says this. This is Paul speaking. You know what I was like, how I violently persecuted Christians. There was violence involved. I did my best to get rid of them. That's telling you he was killing them. But then something happened. For it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. He knew it wasn't deserved. Like, wow, I was killing these guys. What undeserved mercy it is for God to forgive me and call me and choose me to make a difference. I'm telling you, God has called you. God has chosen you to make a difference. Throughout Scripture, if you read all this, if you read Scripture, you find that everyone has a purpose. The point is, am I doing it? Am I using my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my personality type, my experiences? Am I using those things to make the impact in this world that God's called me to? But we're all called to do that. God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. He wants to use you to make a difference in spite of the things that you've done. God uses me in spite of the things I've done. God has a calling on your life. He wants your life to make a difference. God only uses broken people other than Jesus Christ. If you look at everybody else in the Bible or anybody that you know, God only uses broken people. There's not a person that he's ever used that's not messed up. We're all, we all have weaknesses. We all fall short. We're all sinners. And he can only use people like that because you have to rely on God. If I thought I was all that, I wouldn't rely on God. If I believe that I'm broken, I've messed up, I've got these weaknesses, I, God, I need your help. That's when he uses you the most is when you understand that you're weak, when he understands your shortcomings. Abraham, for example, he used Abraham when he was 90 years old. To me, 
that's not at his strength. Can you imagine your greatest ministry and greatest impact in the world happens when you're 90 years old? Come on. I would think, okay, it's too late. I'm just going to sit here and relax in my easy chair and die. You know, but he's like, that's his biggest impact when he was already 90 years old. Jacob, he was a chronic liar. He ends up giving his life uh, to God, getting in the right order, and God uses him. Joseph was abused as a child, and God used him as a, in great ways. Gideon was poor. He was like the poorest guy you could find, and God takes him and uses him for great things. Samson, he was a reckless codependent, and God uses him. Rahab was a prostitute. Leah is an interesting story. Jacob didn't want to marry her because she was ugly and, his, and her sister was beautiful. That's, that's what his decision. She's ugly. I don't want to marry her. The father-in-law tricked him into marrying her first. Because, and then, because back in those days, it was common for people to have more than one wife. And so he tricked him into marrying her first, and he was disappointed. Do you know that Jesus came from the line, from her line, not from... Uh, uh, not from the pretty sister. Isn't that amazing? God picks the ugly one that wasn't wanted, you know what I mean, by her husband, and that's who Jesus comes from. So uh, people might treat you bad because of something about you, and God's saying, don't worry about it. I'm going to use you for greatness because Jesus Christ came from her. What could be more amazing than that of all the people? You know, Jonah was fearful and reluctant. Elijah was suicidal. Naomi was an elderly widow when God used her. I'm sure in those days, because widows had no sense of power or anything, they were pretty helpless in those days because of, they had no rights, nobody to protect them necessarily. And God uses her at that stage in her life. Jeremiah was d- depressed. David had an affair, and then he set things up for her for the, his mis- mistress's husband to be killed at war to get him out of the way so he could continue the relationship with this woman. If anybody's disqualified to be used from God, I would think it's David because I can't think of anything worse than that. I mean, he's a murderer, really. He didn't kill the guy with his own hands, but he made sure it happened. And David ends up repenting and writing the, writing the biggest book in the Bible, Psalms. John the Baptist was weird. <laughs> Anybody that's wearing the clothes he wears, he, he would eat uh, locusts and honey and things like this. He was uh, eccentric for sure, and God used him for, for greatness. Peter was impulsive and had a serious anger management problem, and yet God used him. Martha was constantly worrying, which means she had no faith, right? Worry equals no faith. If I trust God, I don't worry but if I don't trust that God's going to be there, then I'm worried. And God used her anyway, in spite of her lack of faith. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. And it was after that point that God used her. You know, you think like, okay, you have one marriage down and that didn't work. You get the second marriage down, that doesn't work. You think like if someone that had five failed marriages, (laughs) you know, God's not going to do anything with her because there's one common denominator and it was her. And yet that's when God used her at the greatest point, after that point. Zacchaeus was unethical, a scam artist. Thomas was the guy f- filled with doubts. Timothy was 
timid. He was afraid to go after it, and yet God used him for greatness. You know, Moses, David, and Paul were all guilty of murder. You know what this tells me? What's my excuse? What's my excuse? If he can use all of them, what's my excuse of why he couldn't? You know, oh, he can't use me. I've done this. There's, there's nothing that these people have, haven't done bad. So no matter what my excuse is, there's somebody that's done the same thing, and God used them. So God can use me. You know what I've learned about people, the older I've gotten? Every saint has a past. Every saint has a past. But you know what else I've learned? Every sinner has a future. Praise God for that. Every sinner has a future. God wants to use you for greatness. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, it is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from, from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Did you know that? God's whole plan for your life was, I've given you these gifts and talents. I've thought about this from the very beginning so that you could be used to help others. That's why you exist. That's one of the reasons you exist is so that you can help other people. If I don't help other people, I'm not doing one of the purposes that I was born for. Second thing about Paul is be real. Be real. You can fill that in. Be authentic, genuine. You can't be somebody that you're not. God didn't create you to try to be somebody else. When you get to heaven, God's never going to say, why weren't you more like Moses? Or why weren't you more like your sister or your brother or things like that? He wants you to be you. Now, he might say, why I gave you these gifts and talents. Why didn't you use them? But it's going to be based on things that you have. So don't wear a mask. Don't try to fake things. Don't try to be something that you're not. You know, don't try to live for the approval of other people. There are some people that their dad or mom has died several years ago, and they're still trying to prove themselves to them. They're living up to their approval. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's a horrible way to live. You look at your gifts and talents, and you be the best you that you can be. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to do what somebody else wants you to do. Do what you feel like God wants you to do. That's the only way that you're going to have happiness. Don't try to please a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know, be like, I'm going to be what God's designed me to be. Don't fake. What happens is when you start putting on a front to please other people, First of all, you're going to be under stress because it's not who you are. It's stressful to try to put on this front for other people. Secondly, you're going to live with fear because what if, they, what if you get exposed? You know, you're trying to be something. You're trying to fake it. And then you have to manipulate people because you're trying to manipulate them to see you in a certain way that maybe you're not really that way. Just be yourself. If God loves you exactly the way he made you, then does it matter whether or not somebody else feels the same way? No, be yourself. Be how God designed you to be. I want you to be the best you that you can be, but be you. 2 Corinthians 4.2, we don't try to trick anyone. This is Paul again. And we don't twist the word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we really are. He was saying, this is who we really are. I'm not, putting on a, I'm not faking this. I'm not putting it on a front. Do you know how some churches where you put on the 
facade when you go to church. I'm okay, you're okay. I don't want to be a church like that. I want to be a church that you're allowed to be you, that you're comfortable. One of the reasons why I dress down instead of dress up is because I want you to feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Because I felt like when I used to go to church as a kid and everybody dressed up in suits and ties and everything like that, it wasn't my natural self. You know what my natural self is? When you come to my house and I'm wearing my shorts and I'm sitting on the couch. That's the real Jimmy that everybody knows at home. You know? So I dress down on purpose because I want to create an atmosphere where you realize, oh, here I can be myself. I can wear a hat if I want to. I, you know, just whatever. I can just be myself here. Because that's important, I think. People need to be able to be themselves. That's the only way that God wants us to be. Then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. He said, I want you to know what kind of people we are. In other words, God knows who you really are. I can stand up here and act a certain way here, but act different at home. You know what I mean? Put on my front here, but be different at home. And this saying, God knows who I really am. And he said, we do this so that you will know who I really am. So I want to just be, what you get here is if you visit the house, you get the same person in shorts. <laughs> but the same person. You know, because I, I, I don't want to put on a front and act like, oh, you know. One thing that used to annoy me a lot and is some uh, pastors have a preacher voice. <laughs> they never talk like that in normal situations, but they put on their preacher voice. And I thought, what is that? That used to always bother me, I think, because of being a pastor. Because I just want to be real. I don't want to put on the preacher voice. I just want to be a normal person that loves God. So they're not trying to tr trick anyone. You can circle the word really, who we really are. That's what God wants you to be. He wants you to be real. He wants you to be transparent. You've got nothing to hide. You know, be authentic. And the truth is, if I'm authentic with you, you're going to see my flaws. One of the reasons why in my messages, sometimes I talk about weaknesses that I have. Because everybody has weaknesses. And I feel like you can identify. It's more real when you, when you speak the truth about what's really going on. But you're more real with other people as well when, when, they, when you're open with your weaknesses you know, and your struggles. Because we all have that. We're all flawed. Everybody has weaknesses, but God can use those weaknesses for greatness because if you have a weakness and you're working on it and you're seeing how to have success with it, it opens up a door for you to share that with somebody else who maybe has the same weakness but hasn't had success with it yet. And also, if you have a weakness that I have and I'm not having success and you're having success with it, then I start listening to you, then I learn I think about, I don't know if you guys noticed, but since September, I've lost 21 pounds. I was just slowly getting up there and slowly getting up there. I got up to, to 192 pounds, and, um, and I started uh, uh, realizing I've got to lose weight. But I, had start, I started losing weight way before, I started trying way before September. It just wasn't succeeding. But then I heard other people talking about what they do and what works, and from learning from them, I start trying those things, and without really much of an effort, I've lost over 20 pounds. You know, but I wouldn't get that, that if I didn't get feedback from other people. You know, what works for them? What are they doing? So weaknesses can help other people. It's, it's a great thing. It's, it's not a, a bad, bad thing. We need to learn from one another. And a lot of times we learn way more from their weakness, their success and their weakness. 
than we do from their strengths. When you see someone really good at something, you just think, well, that's just the way they are. I could never do that. But when you see someone that has a weakness and they're succeeding, you think, oh, what are they doing? Because you want to succeed. I think the number one barrier from being used by God is not being real. Because I think people see through it. They know. I think people can see fakes. You know what I mean? You can see it. And you think, like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be around them. You, you lose the respect. So you will naturally lose respect toward other people that are being a fake. So you make sure you're not a fake. You make sure that you're real with others. Romans 5.15 says, The spirit we received does not make us slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. There are two ways that you can live. You can be under fear or you can live free under the mercy of God as his child. You're God's child. You don't need to fear what other people think about you. You don't need to fear any of that. I'm God's child. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to be the person that God created me to be. Number three, remember it's not about me. It's not about me. What happens in life is we think it's all about me, which means when a problem comes, I get bitter because I think it's all about me. Or when something good happens, I get prideful because it's all about me. Look at what I did. And you realize it's really not about me. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, our message is not about ourselves. It's about Jesus Christ as the Lord. We are merely your servants for Jesus' sake. It's not about us. That's, uh, that goes against culture. Because in advertisements and everything, they want you to believe it's all about you. It's all about self-centeredness. And he's saying, no, it's not about me. It's not about me. There's something bigger here. I am not the center of the universe. God is. I'm not here to be self-centered. I'm here to be other-centered. God put me here to think about other people, to have concerns and love toward others. God is very interested in, in your motive, the motive behind what you do. Two people can do good things, but their motives could be totally different. One person's motive can be gratitude toward God. Like, God, you're just so wonderful. I want to serve you. And some person can do the same type of good thing, but for some sort of self-esteem reason. Like, it makes them feel, you know, it's all about them. Two people doing the same exact thing, but motives matter. God wants your heart. I want to have a heart that's so grateful to God for what he's done in my life that I want to serve other people. I want it to come from there. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, We are like clay jars in which this treasure is stored. The real power comes from God and not from us. That's what we do is we understand like, wait a minute. Even with my gifts and talents, aren't they from God? Isn't he the one that blessed me with certain gifts and talents? Shouldn't I be thankful for what he's given me? Because it really comes from God. I'm like a clay jar. A clay jar is made by somebody else but they're also easily broken. It's easy to get a crack in the clay jar, but they're put together by the hands of somebody else. The clay jar didn't make himself. And we start recognizing we're actually weak, like that clay jar. We're fragile. If you drop it, it breaks, you know. We're fragile. We have weaknesses in our life. We have flaws in our life. And everything that we have, that it comes from God. It's God that gives us the ability to do that. And God has always, used, has always used flawed people, like I said earlier. 
And you can have some great strengths, but you're also going to have some weaknesses that go with them. Usually I found, have you noticed this? Some of the people with the greatest strengths also have the greatest weaknesses. Have you noticed that? I think like, how is that? It seems to go together. Like they're super good at this, but they have this super big weakness over here. For some reason, we tend to be that way. God uses people with super big weaknesses, even when they have super great strengths. You know what humility is? It's not denying something that you're good at. Someone says you're good at that, and you say, oh, shucks. (laughs) No, it's not like that. That's not what it means to be humble. Humility means that you're honest about your weaknesses. Someone can come up to you and say, oh, uh, you're good at that. Let's say, like, uh, whatever you do is something you're good at. And they say, wow, that was amazing. And you can say, thank you. You can recognize that you're good at that. But someone that's humble recognizes their weaknesses. They're always in tune with their weaknesses. They don't cover them up. They don't act like, I've only got the good things, not the bad things. Because they're humble. They see their weaknesses. See, humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. You spend less time thinking about yourself. It's not like lowering your, your, your view of yourself. It's you're just not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about other people. See, sometimes people think to be humble means I need to think less, like, like I'm not important. You are important. You're a child of God. You're valuable. You're very important. Humility is never about, man, I'm not important. Humility is you don't even think about yourself. You really think about other people. You have them on your mind. You're concerned about what they're going through. Number four, use my pain to help others. That's what Paul did. Use my pain to help others. This is a secret of being used by God. See, because we all go through hurts. We all have weaknesses. And God wants to use those. Who's the best person to help an alcoholic? Someone that's struggled through alcoholism. They've gotten on the right track. They know how to get to where that person is to where they are. Because they've been there. And they understand. I'm not an alcoholic. I'll probably never be able to really understand what, al- what, what it's like to be an alcoholic. I'm not one. But someone that's struggled with alcoholism, boy, they, and they've gotten on the right path, they know how to get that person there. They're the best person. Why? Because of their weakness, not because of their strength. It's their weakness that made them the best person to help that person. Best person to help people going through a divorce is someone that's probably gone through a divorce and got their life back together. You know, the things that you've gone through that have hurt you the most usually can bring about your greatest ministry. The, the number one person that's best designed to help someone that's lost a child is someone that else that's lost a child. But they've gone through the healing process. And they know how to get from there to being healed. I've not lost a child. I could never help somebody as much as somebody that's lost a child but has worked through the process of healing. So out of your greatest pain comes your most impactful, powerful ministry tool to help somebody else. Obviously, once you've reached a point that you've been healed, then you're the perfect person to minister to that other person who's in the middle of their pain. God doesn't want you to waste your hurts. He wants you to use them to help other people. Look at Paul's hurts. He was in a lot of pain. It was mostly physical. 2 Corinthians 
11, 23 to 28. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits, from my own countrymen, from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city and the country at sea. I've been in danger from false brothers. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger, and I've known thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. Besides everything else, I faced the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow, he went through some tough times. But he didn't let those tough times ruin him. He used it to help other people. He spent his life encouraging who? The churches that were being persecuted. Because none of those people in those churches were as persecuted as he was. He was the leader that they were trying to take out. So he spent all of his time. It's interesting. He was the terrorist that became the Christian leader. And then all the other people were trying to kill him now. You know, the same people that he was on their side before. They've, they hated him the worst. And he went through a lot of problems. But God used him in that position because he knew that the churches were being persecuted. And no matter how much they got discouraged... They would look at Paul and say, well, wow, really, we don't have it that bad. Look at what he's going through. And then it's, we can keep fighting. We can keep going. We can keep moving. When you feel like you're being defeated, you want to give up. When you look at Paul, you say, oh, what I thought was so bad is nothing. I can hang in there. I mean, if he's making it, this is a piece of cake compared to what we're going through. Paul used his pain to help the church move forward, and it did. That's why we're here today. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. We often suffer, but we are never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. And when we are knocked down, we get up again. He's using his pain to encourage them. We get knocked down, but we get up again. He's using his most difficult experiences to help them not to give up. In 2 Corinthians 4, 15. All these sufferings of ours are for your benefit. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank him for his great mercy, and the more God gets glory. He's saying, the suffering that we're going through is for your benefit. It leads people to the Lord. When they, in those, in those times, when they saw that the Christians were willing to suffer for their faith, it drew people to the faith. We see this in China. It's not so much like this right now in China, but when I went there in the 80s, the church was under persecution in China. There's all these underground churches going on. And uh, that's when Christianity was growing the fastest. Because when the average person saw Christians suffering for their faith, what it did is instead of chasing people away from Christianity, it had the opposite effect. It made them think, why are these people willing to die for this? Why are these people willing to go into prison for their faith and not give it up? So they start investigating, like, what is this? The common man. And instead of them being chased away, they were becoming Christians and Christians and Christians. You know, so China for a while was one of the fastest growing, during their communist time, during the oppression in the 80s, it was one of the fastest growing Christian countries in the world during that time. It's amazing. Persecution was drawing them to God. It was having the opposite effect of what the Chinese government was trying to do. Currently, the Chinese government isn't that hard on the Christians like they were in the past. 
Uh, maybe that's why. Maybe they, they saw it was backfiring. You know, this is redemptive suffering that you see here when you're suffering for the benefit of others. See, sometimes we suffer because of our own thing, uh, the, our, the, the stupid mistakes that we make. Like sometimes I suffer because of just dumb things I've done. Sometimes I suffer innocently. I didn't do anything. Somebody else did something, and I pay the price. Or it could be like a natural disaster, a car accident. I wasn't doing anything wrong, but they hit me. But sometimes we suffer for those reasons. But this is redemptive suffering because this is a suffering that you can choose not to suffer, and you choose to suffer anyway. Like, like Jesus on the cross, that's redemptive suffering. He could have chose not to suffer, but he died on the cross to pay off the penalty for our sins. So redemptive suffering is the type of suffering that if you're going to suffer, you want to suffer this way. I don't want to suffer because I've done stupid things. God will still use that for your good. He can. I don't want to suffer because of what other people have done, but God will still use that for the good. But if you're going to suffer, I want to suffer because I'm doing it to help people. I'm doing it to help people. It's, it's, it, there's more value, it feels like, in that suffering. I'm suffering, but I'm doing it to save lives. Like the person that jumps in the swimming pool because someone's drowning and, you know, tries to get them out. They're risking themselves for the sake of the other person. That could be a way of suffering. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Wow. Do you know the present troubles that are quite small, they seem pretty big to me when he was talking about all the list of things he was going through. Um, for our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurable great glory that will last forever. Our physiques were decaying, but on the inside, he's being renewed every day. And you can be renewed every day, no matter what you're going through. Number five in your notes, stay focused on eternity. Keep that eternal perspective. That way you don't get overwhelmed by your current problems. See, my problem can look really big now. But if I get an eternal perspective, I say this is a small thing compared to millions and billions of years in heaven with no problems. Then all of a sudden I can be like him where he said, you know, this, it's, our troubles are quite small. Look at it. Again, it's the next verse there. These little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem like nothing. I'll tell you what, these little troubles, like shipwrecks and prison and being beaten five times, to me, those don't feel like little troubles. But they're getting us ready for eternal glory. When you compare it to years in heaven with God, it's small potatoes. It's nothing. So I can think, wow, this problem is so big. But when I think about maybe this problem will be over in six months. And you compare that to billions of years with God in heaven. It's like, it's nothing. It's just, it's nothing if you compare it to the right thing. And that's what Paul was doing. He was comparing things to, with an eternal perspective. Second Corinthians 4.18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. 
That's what he's doing. So there's different kind of motivations that you have. You can have that internal motivation to achieve. Some people have that. It's, it drives them internally. You can have that external motivation where the reason why you achieve is that you want to make dad happy. You want to make the coach happy. You want to make your teacher happy. You want to make your boss happy. That's an external. Or you need the paycheck. You know, but those are external motivations. It's not from within you so much. It's more about the external things around you. Or you can have an eternal motivation, and it's based on eternity, based on God. God, I'm motivated because there's something bigger here. This is going to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. I want to be motivated by eternal things. I want that to be the key driving force in my life. I want to ask you, what prison is holding you back? What prison is preventing you from saying, God, you can use me. I really am disqualified. I am. I really am unqualified. But God, because of you, you can use, because of your mercy, you can use me. What's preventing you from saying, okay, God, I'm in. My life is yours. I want to be used by you. What's holding you back? Nothing has to hold you back. It's your choice. God will use you. He wants to use you. Everybody in this room has great gifts and talents. It's just a matter of saying, I'm going to use them for God. I'm going to use them for God by blessing other people in whatever way I can. Everybody will do it in different ways. With that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy, that you're willing to use us for great things in spite of ourselves. And Lord, I want to stop living for myself. I want to live for you, for the purposes that you created me for. I want my life to impact other people in a positive way. And God, I'm not going to hold back. I'm in all the way. I'm making a decision right now to know what my gifts and talents are and to use them for you, to use them to make this world a better place because I'm here. It's in Jesus' name that I'm making this commitment. Amen. Can you imagine what 12 people did when they made that decision 2,000 years ago, the, the 12 disciples? It was 11 of them. Judas committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. But then Paul is the 12th one. But can you imagine 12 people made a decision? God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to use my gifts and talents, everything for you. And it changed the whole world. There's more than 12 people in this room. We have the power in this room to do way more than they had. There's more than 12 people that could say, I'm going to use my gifts and talents for God. God wants us to use our gifts and talents for him. He wants to use us for great things. He wants your life to be significant in those ways. Even if you feel like my life's not significant, it can be. Just use your gifts and talents for him.